cliffcentral.com. Welcome back to the Gareth Cliff Show on cliffcentral.com. And this morning it is time for the Burning Platform, which is our opportunity to go through some of the events of the moment, some of the stuff that's been happening in the last couple of days, discuss them, unpack them, tear them apart, say some things, give some opinions, have some fun, and then uh, see what happens. Just uh, watch where the dust settles. (laughs) All of that's coming up in a minute. Let me reintroduce to you an old favorite and someone who makes a return to the ring this morning with us. It is Canton Pele. Hey, Canton, how are you? Morning, guys. Good to be back. It's the school holiday, so I've Uh, got the ability to pop by back on the show. I'm very happy. We wondered what the the reason was that you were able to join us again because you've been uh, the responsible parent for the school run for the longest time. Yeah, well, you know, particularly when you've got a teenage kid, which... um, uh, and, and trust me, most of us don't actually understand just how this can snot up you at the point at which your dear sweet child suddenly turns into this, you know, bit of a monster. But I love it. It's all the same. <laughs> okay, well, at least you're honest. Most, most parents are dishonest about when their children uh, give them a headache. Pumi, that's a new set of cans. Well done. W- welcome, Kevin. It's so good to see you. Just also, to, I see your salt and peppers become more salt than pepper. It is. Well, this comes from turning 60, which I did earlier this month. Yes, and happy birthday from everybody here at cliffcentral.com on your birthday. But I just want to clear up for anybody who thought that Canton was being rude. Uh, when he says a new set of cans on Pumi, he means her headphones. <laughs> I just want to be clear about that. Because they're my, they're my... <laughs> Can you see the other? Can, you, can't, you can't see my can. <laughs> All right. So, guys, we've got uh, we've got a special guest this morning, and and somebody who's really made waves in the last couple of of weeks. Inadvertently, he was speaking at a conference, and it got an enormous amount of attention. He's a South African entrepreneur, a private investor. He has founded and owns a number of companies in the sport, media, finance sectors, and he's building a new airport in Cape Town, which we should all be excited about because couldn't Cape Town do with another airport? The current one that they have, you have to walk seven kilometers from the plane to collect your bags, then another seven kilometers from where you collect your bags to where you find your rental car. And then if you're lucky, you drive for another eight kilometers to get your rental car out of the airport. But, eh, you know, some people enjoy that. Um, he's building a new airport. He's also started the Cape Stock Exchange, which launched this week. And we, um, I think, by and large, we all welcome any way for people to invest in the local economy. He's a big believer in the local economy, despite the fact that he's not a big believer in many of the decisions that have led us to this current economic point of reference. And here's Rob Hersov. It's a pleasure to have you on, Rob. How are you doing, Mr. Hersov? Are you well? Hey, Gareth. Uh, yeah, it's been a kind of a rough ride this last week, but uh, it is school holidays, and uh, we're on the Breda River, and I found a spot sort of outside where the kids and there's so many children here and this packed into the house so there's three families uh-huh. where the kids hopefully were always in the background but lovely right. to see you here. well it's, it's good to have you on so uh, I, i've got to refer to the clip that has been going viral i mean it's had hundreds of thousands of views in the last while you were speaking at a conference with alec hogg and biz news and you were talking about the state of the economy. You were one of many speakers. Uh, I don't know who any of the other speakers were because you're the only one who seems to have made the impact that you did. And, of course, Rob, this comes with – it's a double-edged sword. It comes with um, 
huge support and acclaim and people saying, thank God there's someone who's speaking out. But it also comes with the other side, which is that you will receive enormous amounts of criticism. Can I just say up front that I think it's great that someone in business, because we very seldom get people in business who speak out about anything. They're always terribly timid. They're always afraid to make waves. They're afraid to make enemies. They're afraid to upset their erstwhile political either masters or interlocutors. And I've got to say that it's, it makes me very happy to know that there are people like you who are willing to say things. Thanks, Gareth. I actually, I'm most proud of my wife or what my wife and what my father separately said. And both of them said, you know, you've spoken truth to power. You're going to take the pain for that now. Mm. But, you know, you've stood up and spoken when others haven't. Um, but I want to give a quick bit of credit to to someone because I did name names and I shouldn't have done that. You know, I was firing from the hip and I was being a bit emotional and there was some anger in that. And, mm. and Sim Shabalala messaged me because I named him and he said, Rob, I have absolutely no problem at all. I know you were talking to corporate South Africa as a whole. You're right to do so. I mean, what a, what an impressive man to actually say, sure. say that to me. And, and I could only think of some big names and his was one of them, but to credit to him, yeah, um, and I've added a few great as you might have noticed in the last week because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not social. I'm actually not on social media, so I, yeah. I'm not on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the horrible things saying about me or nice things, but uh, a lot of it's come through anyway. And uh, here I am. So well, it I'm, is what it is. I'm uh, for one. I'm very glad that you've done what you've done, and uh, I think Pumi and Canton and I are used to saying things that get us into trouble. Although, because we're always saying them, I think people are used to us causing trouble. With with you, um, you, you speak from a, a place where usually people are quite happy to just toe the line, and they're happy to to do what they have to do to keep their businesses going and try not to con- court controversy wherever they can. I mean, Canton, you obviously have seen this. Pums, you've seen it too. Um, anything you'd like to say before we get stuck into some current affairs? Yeah, I think Rob is in a unique position, and it's actually a great position, where none of the ecosystems that he plays in is actually dependent on the largesse of government which means that, you know, unlike someone who's in the banking sector, unlike someone who's in the telecom sector, where government is able to exert very real pressure on your business at a number of levels because mm. there's a regulatory framework that governs that. And so if you want to play in those sectors, you're actually dependent on just shutting the fuck up so that government doesn't give you a hard time. And because Rob is actually playing in a space where he's not dependent on government's goodwill, it means that he is actually able to speak truth through power, and that's fantastic. Yeah, Pums, do you have anything to say about this? Yes, I mean, there there were a lot of thought starters in what Rob had to say. And one of the things, and it's the the headline that they gave the, the video clip that went viral, is... Nelson Mandela and how he would vote if he had to vote, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, gets me, always gets me kind. And it's a trope that a lot of people put out, particularly the DA. Herbert Mashaba got smacked over, wrapped over the knuckles a couple of days ago also about that because he came out and said, oh, no, Nelson Mandela wouldn't vote for the DA, wara wara, you know. But the thing that really it sparked in my brain, Robin, I'd love to hear your view on this. 
is if you think about people like, why stop at Nelson Mandela? Let's think about Helen Sussman. Do you think Helen Sussman, a person who fought for uh, for the right of South Africans to be able to move freely around this country, a person who fought anti-apartheid uh, and passed laws, do you think she would vote for the DA, given that the DA also likes to call people in South, fellow South Africans economic refugees in their own country? Do you think she would vote for the DA? You know, we can even go back to Mahatma Gandhi and other people have, have, were raised in this country, may not have been born there. An extraordinary people have spent a great part of their lives coming to South Africa and living here and being part of our magnificent country. Um, I think the future is a coalition government. I really do. Mm. And I think it will be made up of a, of a group of different parties uh, who will agree on the main subjects but disagree on maybe some of the more fringe subjects. And that's, I think, where South Africa is heading. And it's not a bad thing either. Well, um, Rob, just to, to go back to your co- the conversation, his words have activated. So thank you for continuing it here. Um, in terms of, of, of what you didn't say in that, in that speech and what I saw you picked up in a subsequent interview, is the action plan to make things better. And you've hinted that already with this discussion around coalition politics and how that's likely to be the next big outcome. I just want to say to those people who have a problem with you and people who think that you're just one of those people who likes to criticize, did mention this at the introduction, but you are an investor in South Africa. You live in this country, despite the fact that you were in the UK for some time. You moved back here, counter to the, the prevailing winds. You are building infrastructure pro- projects, which technically in South Africa have only ever really been done by government. Um, and you're involved very much in trying to to, to up the skills, the technological sector of South Africa. How has all of that been received? Or are people just pretending that you're not involved in that so that they can criticize you? So the, the, where people, some people got a bit confused because I, you know, I said South Africa is uninvestable, but I was talking from a foreign direct investment point of view. Mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, foreigners looking at the world, at Africa, at South Africa, you know, what allocation would they make to South Africa? And I said none to South Africa because, you know, we're over-regulated. We, you know, we just got the wrong people in power and the wrong policies. So mm-hmm. foreigners would be sort of crazy to invest, was my comment. But if you're in South Africa, you've got to get on, build businesses and try and invest, employ people, make a difference. And I'm back here living here. You know, my, my, funny enough, my brother left for the UK when I came back to South Africa. And then uh, two years later, my sister left for America. So I, my mum and dad are alive. Dad's 95 and mum's 88 today. Happy oh, birthday. Happy mom. birthday to her. <laughs> and they, they live in Johannesburg, right? Yeah. They live in Johannesburg. Yeah. Love Johannesburg. They, they want to come and base themselves in Cape. They're from Joburg. So, I'll probably be the last person to live in this country, it looks like. Uh, my older kids left. So I'm committed to invest. If I see a good opportunity, I will take that advantage and, and invest. And I love the tech sector, by the way. I'd love if we could talk about technology being the mm. savior of South Africa and the future of Africa. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You listed uh, a couple of, of, of really big names, and you say that you wish you hadn't named names, but sometimes that's necessary because otherwise people just hear you speaking in generalities and in platitudes. And there are lots and lots of powerful and influential people in South Africa. What do you think it'll take 
for us to get the, the, the important powers that be to start talking the way that we need to have people talking. Um, do you think that they'll have to be safely ensconced in another country? Do you think they'll have to actually feel the pain themselves no. in terms of their share like portfolios? What do you think it'll take? Sorry. Well, I'm going to get the timing wrong, and I'm going to get the. But within the world, it's a group, concerned, activist, journalist types wrote a sort of open letter and published it in the newspaper. You know, we want the following to happen, mm-hmm. and they did it as a group. You know, safety in numbers, and I think that needs to happen first. Um, you know, I picked on Adrian Gore, um, and his name just came up because he's just just such a prominent, successful. South African-based business person. Mm. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember him ever saying anything against the government. Maybe he's out there trying to tender for something, or maybe yeah. he's, you know, it's what he's doing behind the scenes, but he's not saying anything publicly. But if he got together with a group of prominent business people, published a plan of action, a positive plan of action for the country, and did it together, that could be a very good first step. Let me ask all three of you this question because I mentioned it in the headlines this morning. David Makura, who's the, the premier of Gauteng, obviously we've got an election coming up in a, a month's time. And David Makura is looking for ways that he can position himself favorably in a, a province that isn't necessarily likely to go the ANC's way. Um, he said, we've got to end lockdown, or he said, certainly bring it down to level one. I don't think you're going to have much uh, disagreement among the three of you, but are there any nuances that we could take from this? I also noticed that the e-toll discussion is coming up again. Is this just plain old ex- electioneering, or is it? Is there more to it? Are South Africans now full of lockdowns? Do we see that they've served very little purpose, that they've done a lot of collateral damage, or is that just me Wish thinking what I believed a year ago to be the truth now, finally, for even the politicians. Canton, you go first. Why me? (laughs) Look, um, um, Makura is clearly recognizing the fact that the last municipal election, the ANC was unsuccessful in actually securing a majority, which is what enabled at that time a... Uh, a broad coalition, and look, let's, let's call it a coalition between the DA and the EFF. Mm-hmm. It ended up being a disaster at the time. And something that we discussed on this show at the time was really what should have been happening is for the DA and the ANC to actually have been working and setting up a coalition at that point. Because, you know, frankly, the EFF are in it just to cause trouble. And they don't really have a positive contribution to make. They got into that disastrous coalition with uh, with Mashaba. Uh, he basically bribed them with access to particular contracts uh, in the, uh, the city centre in exchange for being allowed to run uh, the city under the EFF's terms, which was a bit of a disaster. Mm-hmm. So at this point, really, we need to have people in the DA in particular who are honest enough to be able to say that if the ANC is willing to accede to the following broad set of principles in terms of everything, then we're happy to work with them. And that actually provides an entry point to actually start that discussion. But that's not going to happen before the elections actually happens. Yeah, but it's all going to should those discussions be happening behind the scenes? Yeah, yes, it's all going to depend going on the numbers. To. So. Um, Pumi, uh, it was Helen Ziller who said that, um, I think at the last elections, which were national, but she said 
the only hope that we have here of getting a meaningful coalition is precisely what Canton's talking about now. But she did say it a couple of years ago. She said the ANC and the DA need to come to terms on certain things, and they need to kind of elbow the, the EFF right out because at the moment the EFF still think of themselves as kingmakers, even though they, they do not have the majority in a, sing, a single ward anywhere in South Africa. What's your feeling on an ANC-DA coalition? And do you think, to go back to David Makura, do you think there's a, a huge amount of promising and, and nonsense going on instead of actual practical solutions? Of course. I think the one thing that we see uh, across the board and every time, particularly in the, in the local elections, right, is that our politicians call themselves politicians, but they're not very good at politicking. Because this is this is where what Canton talks about is a behind the scenes angling and having conversations and agreements that will move the dial forward, that will give service delivery to people. That's what politics is about. It's about a give and take. It's about agreeing on certain principles, even if you disagree, even if you disagree on the big broad strokes, even if you disagree nationally, but in the local environment where you are supposed to be about service delivery, and the local elections are about the potholes, they're about the traffic lights, they're about the sewage system, those things. That's where you, you kind of have to come together and say, right, this is what we need to deliver to the people. How can we do it best? How do we work together to do it best? The ANC is going to lose ground. The ANC is going to lose ground. The worst thing that can happen to all of us is if less people show up to the polls because they won't vote for the DA or they won't vote for the EFF and they can't vote for the ANC because the ANC is still going to be able to mobilize their stronghold to go and vote and it'll just give them the numbers that they need. So, Rob, um, how do you feel about the upcoming elections? Do you think it's going to be a, a watershed moment or do you think it's just another kind of point on, on the, the graph of general decline in, in politics. People have lost faith in, in almost all the political parties. Do you think that there are some and there are some leaders in those political parties who can turn this around? I think the ANC, I, yes? I think the ANC will get shredded. I, I think a lot of people will not vote, which is a huge pity because a non-vote is it, is it actually a vote for the ANC? I think the ANC will get shredded. But I do think your idea of people working together, including with the ANC, makes huge sense. I'll give you one example. Someone I know pretty well and like very much and who is smart is Horsis Zolani Matthews. Mm -hmm. And he has been recently appointed head of PRASA. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, I've got the second worst job in South Africa, the worst being fixing S. <laughs> SA, yeah. <laughs> Shredded. I drove from up to. Uh... Sorry, you bre you're breaking up a bit, Rob. Um, I know that you're in a place where there yeah. isn't a huge oh, amount of signal. Okay. Just uh, start with start with the process story again. It seems to come and go. His connection. Yeah. Okay. Can... So, friend of. Apologies. Oh. Let me. Yeah, I'll just see if we Let can me get move him, closer get to the router. Um, a, a friend slide. of mine. Yeah, we can hear you a little bit better now. Just uh, see. If, yeah, that should be better. Okay, go for it. Gareth, no. I think maybe I he think, should try and, yeah, and, um, let's try and reconnect. Yeah. And let's That's let's try idea. and reconnect him. And all right, very good. While well, he's reconnecting, maybe.
We'll bring him back. Uh, so, yeah, I'll ask Simpiwe to just sort that out for us in the meantime. So just quickly, um, to, to have Canthan back here is very nice, and lots of people have questions for Canthan, so we'll get to some of those in a minute. But uh, on this, this matter of, like, coalitions, I hear uh, from the DA certainly that they're not prepared to go into coalitions with the EFF anymore. They've got a values disagreement with them. Is that what you're talking about, Canthan, when it comes to, like, agreements on certain broad strokes? Or, as Pumi says, some, yeah, of the, that's, some of the local detail. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that, that is pretty much the case because there, there are fundamental uh, inconsistencies between the platforms of, uh, of uh, the Democratic mm-hmm. Alliance and, uh, and of the EFF. Whereas, technically, if you look at what the ANC's broad brushstrokes would be, I can't think of anything in the Freedom Charter, as an example, that the DA would generally have... Uh, have problems with, because almost everything that you find in the Freedom Charter can actually be interpreted in the light of our current constitution, which, you know, certainly the DA doesn't seem to have a problem with. So the idea really of trying to effectively force the ANC out, as opposed to trying to finesse the ANC into a place where the ANC needs to behave itself. Let Let me give you a very specific example. Let's say the ANC gets to I don't know, 45 percent in uh, in Johannesburg, which is really the most significant place because uh, Johannesburg's GDP is bigger than that of Cape Town and of Durban and of uh, um, the shithole formerly known as Port Elizabeth and all of those things put together. And which, which is what makes it the most significant place to be in the, in, in the country. Right. Now, if you have a scenario where the DA turns around and, and says, well, let's say the DA gets 30% in, in Johannesburg, which, you know, is a very real possibility, and I hope that it is the case, but it's still not enough to actually form a government. But the DA turns around and says, all right, we're willing to support the ANC in terms of running the city, on condition you do the following things. So all tenders become open to public scrutiny through a public participation uh, platform. Every bit of the way in which the money is spent gets put out in the open, um, public scrutiny, if necessary, pull in blockchain technology so that every bit, uh, every transaction is actually recorded in mm-hmm. stone. And, hey, guess, guess what happens? That actually removes the ability of the ANC to be stealing as they have been doing. But it also means that if you have people who are competent within the ANC, and trust me, there are competent people within the ANC, Mm -hmm. but they are so trapped by the party structure, which actually requires Mm -hmm. that they pay homage to the party before they can do any delivery. This means that they have to find ways to actually play by the party rules and effectively uh, become criminals. But if the DA can shine the cold light of day upon the scenario, yeah. which I think that they can pull off, then I think that becomes a bit of a game changer. But this requires that mindset shift so that we get to that stage where we're talking about the end goal in terms of making a better South Africa as opposed to um, the DA being the party that wants to, uh, to govern. Look, let, let's be very clear. The, the DA, wherever they do govern, they do govern better than the ANC. Or, sure. And we've seen that consistently throughout the, the country. But they are not at the stage where they're going to be able to achieve that in Johannesburg yet. 
So how do you get better outcomes? Well, we need to look at stuff like that. Well, uh, Dogozo is enjoying, uh, uh, enjoying you in the comments there and saying pretty much the same thing. So, Rob, we've got you back. I just want to quickly ask you to finish your Thanks. story about Zolani Matthews, who's taken over at Prasa, and just what he said. He, you, you broke up after you said he's got the second worst job in South Africa, the worst being fixing SAA. <laughs> no, fixing ESCOM. Oh, ESCOM. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> He, you know, he, he's been put in charge of Prasa. He's, he's taken a job that is almost unfixable. Mm. Um, three lanes highway from King Shaka up to the Drakensberg, two lanes full of trucks all the way. Mm-hmm. And the reason being the network's collapsed. Mm. So he has a very, very difficult job. And, I, and, you know, I think the previous security teams have, have probably been part of the thievery. And he is a very smart focused fellow and i and I, I rate him very highly and he said to me he said i want to bring in the best people for the job whichever political party they come from whichever part of south africa they come from and that's the kind of attitude that can fix this country you know his yeah. sister is melody pandor foreign, foreign minister yeah and i haven't met her yet but he is the future of south africa well, that's, that's a, 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 an interesting point and something that I hadn't thought of at all. These parastatals have been run so badly by everybody who's been put in charge of them. But it does seem like ESCOM is starting to make some ground up. I mean, can we give a little credit where it's due? I think we haven't – I know that this is slim pickings and, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed is king. But as far as I can tell, we haven't experienced – outrageous load shedding for a couple of months and i'm touching wood as i say this to you but it must mean that someone is starting to take stock and take control and trying to fix things in escom whether it's the new ceo or his whole team let's not give too much credit because this is their basic job this is what you do just to your entry level conditions for for being in that position but i do think that there are signs that there are people who now are, are starting to realize the political cost of ruining these state-owned enterprises is now so high for the ANC that they actually can't afford to have all of them fail anymore. And by being optimistic. You're being very sensible and reasonable. We just need more of those people. So take South African Airways as an example, mm. which basically closed down for the time being. Yeah. One of the main investors that is trying to resuscitate South African Airways is Harith. And I know people have said Harith have investment from the PIC, therefore they're conflicted. But the PIC made a lot of sensible investments along the way, mm. in addition to some you know, dubious ones. And you know what I'm talking about, particularly in the media sector. Yes. Harith is an excellent, excellent investment company. And, you know, I would rate them as a, as a head and shoulders one of the best. And they are black empowered, but I would regardless of that, they're an incredibly good, very efficient, very professional investment company, like Royal Bafokeng, for example. Yeah. So you would want someone like that getting behind a state-owned enterprise. And I think the future for black, empower- black empowerment is privatizing state-owned enterprises and ensuring that they have a majority black, new black industrialists. It would be nice to see some new faces running those state enterprises privatize them but make them black empowered okay uh you want you want to make a comment on that uh, pums no you know I'm, I'm thinking about what one of the key 
fundamental breakdowns in our local communities are is the fact that we have such high unemployment and the the income of 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 municipalities is also race and taxes and the people within that environment. That's where the income is. You know, Canton talks about why Johannesburg is so, so important. But actually, what we really have a problem with is the fact that we have municipalities in this country that have co completely collapsed because they've been mismanaged, mm -hmm. but they are unable to get out of that rut right. because we have we also have municipalities. I was in Dalhousie a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. In this municipality, one ward, 74% of the people in that ward are unemployed. There's no way that that municipality is going to be able to get out of that rut because they can't they can't make any money. They can't charge people for rates and taxes, even if they did. Seventy-four percent of them are unemployed. Mm. You know, part of it's it's this terrible cycle that we're in, and and part of the problem is the fact that we're in this economic hole. And how do we get out of to be able to begin to change things as well? You know, so on the one side it's mismanagement, but on the other side it's also the municipalities just can't. They can't pay for it. They can't raise the finance. Go ahead, well, Rob. Can we just agree that our labor laws are the fundamental problem that we have, Yapubi? And if you get rid of all of the obstacles to people being able to get work at whatever money is actually available, then the country will take off. And this obsession that we have with minimum wages and with decent work and all of that kind of stuff. Pumi, I know you take exception to the term economic refugee. I don't have a problem with that, uh, with the term. In fact, the best possible refugees anywhere in the world are economic refugees rather than political refugees because those end up being entrepreneurs. They are the people who are actually willing to do whatever it takes to build businesses from scratch and they move to where the greatest opportunities are. That's why we have a scenario in Johannesburg where we've actually got the population growing by better than 7% a year simply because of the fact that this is where the opportunities are to make money. And people are making problem. money. Clinton, I don't have a problem with the term economic refugees. I have a problem with the term that South Africans should be called in South Africa economic refugees. That's where the past laws came from. That's where influx control was about. I don't have a problem with economic refugees. If you're coming from Zimbabwe, if you're coming from Malawi, if you're coming from any other country and you need refugee status, that is fine. But South Africans, South well, Africans are allowed to move wherever they want to move. Absolutely, but they, you can still characterize them if they've moved from the Eastern Cape, where we know there are no opportunities whatsoever, to the Western Cape. They and are not refugees. What What is the right term? <laughs> economic migrants? They are not what, refugees. What's the they, right? are South Africans. they are South Africans who've decided to move to better opportunities. Okay. And that's exactly what happens in the case of people from Zimbabwe who move here. And they actually do fantastic well. Mm. And ditto in the case of people who move from the Eastern Cape to the Western Cape. But one of the problems that we have in South Africa, and this constantly drags us down, is we get so obsessed around terminology that we don't actually interrogate the fundamental truth behind what people end up saying. This is why Helen Ziller's comments about colonialism and Singapore became the boiling point that it did in this country. It's because we are so obsessed with nitpicking around what sort of terminology that gets used. Never mind the fact that nearly every one of us who participates in this conversation in our country is actually speaking in English, which for most of us in this country is not our mother tongue, and we are trying to find common ground 
yeah. in this language that is not our own language. And what do we do? We start nitpicking around who's got a better understanding of English. Yeah. The fundamental problem is that the Eastern Cape is a fuck up. <laughs> the DA runs the Western Cape well. And as a direct result of that, people take refuge, take refuge in the competence of the Democratic Alliance of the Western Cape. And it really is that simple. But, uh, but, but, uh, yeah, but I, w I actually want to touch on, on something that, you know, uh, Rob was, uh, w was talking about earlier in terms of, you know, people within South Africa actually stepping up and looking for black entrepreneurs. And I think the object lesson, Rob, that we must take a look at is the example of Jack Ma, who got spectacularly smacked down at the point at which there was meant to be the, um, uh, the IPO of, uh, uh, of Jack Ma's uh, greater empire. And, and Xi Jinping stepped in and effectively pulled out the rug from, uh, from under him. And the way in which our national government is structured right now means that that is always the problem. It doesn't really matter how competent uh, you might happen to be. Uh, you know, Ro Cosa, for example, mm. at the time that he was chairperson of, of Nedbank, speaking truth to power, he got smacked down, you know, from a dizzy height, really. And that problem is going to persist, and it, it will persist until such time as the ANC drops below 50%. And the most dangerous time is going to be between now and the next national election, because this is when the ANC is doing its damnedest to take every possible uh, page out of Xi Jinping's book and mm -hmm. to consolidate its own grip on power. And Ramaphosa is the chief praise singer for that particular agenda, which is why he's so dangerous. Well, Rob, you can respond to you both. Rob yeah, go, go ahead. So you, you said that my presentation at the business conference eclipsed everyone else's speeches and who else was there? You couldn't, no one can remember. There was one presentation that took, took my breath away. Gigi Alcock, who grew up with activist parents in Msinga in a mud hut, speaks fluent Zulu, knows the Zulus inside out, is a Zulu. And he gave the most incredible presentation that, that took my breath away. It's on his concept of Cassie economics which is township informal settlement economics. What's mm -hmm. going on there? And what's going on there is breathtaking. Everyone, everyone on the outside and to the sort of wealth, wealthy world thinks it's just spaza shops. It's mm -hmm. not. There are industries, there are businesses, there are companies, there are entrepreneurs, there's dynamism in this incredibly informal sector where people are making real money despite the government. They don't even believe there's a government. They just get on with building businesses and creating a new economy. And they've incorporated technology. There's a business called um, Yebo Fresh, where people in the informal settlements and townships order by WhatsApp in small batches. The batches get collated into bigger batches and get delivered. And they get delivered to central points, which then debatch them and they get delivered to people's homes. So there's a combination of incredible informal economy dynamism and technology, and these people couldn't give a damn about the governments. They, mm. ignore, they ignore all the rulings. They ignore. They get on with building their own municipalities. They create their own power systems, their own grids, and that's the future. It's a libertarian future. So South Africa has an informal economy that is thriving, despite the government. And that gives me such, such 
excitement and energy. So I just want to refer back to something Canton brought up here because it, it is the, the greater global context that we're in. Uh, you know, China has suddenly come face to face with the first real challenge mm-hmm. of their centralized economy in this mounting debt crisis, which is a, a huge problem over there. And I, I want to hear from all three of you on this. They also tried to ban or did successfully ban cryptocurrency, but it didn't really hit cryptocurrency in the chops like it has before, because even that is now starting to become a power and a force unto itself, which doesn't require the say-so of Xi Jinping. And maybe this is a double wake-up call for Cyril and those who are still big fans of the Chinese centralized controls and, and the way of kind of making the economy your your bitch, if you'd, if you'd forgive me for that crude way of putting it. These things are good indicators to ordinary people in ordinary places who are trying to make a living that actually in the long run they may they may just win you can't hold human ingenuity down Mm. if people want to do something they'll do it they'll find ways around the regulations and with technology it's even easier so you know the the savior for us in south africa is technology you know Mm. if our education's a disaster Everyone will have a smartphone in the very near future connected to the internet. Everyone. There's fiber being rolled out mm-hmm. in the townships. Mm-hmm. Mare has found a way to deliver fiber to the home in the informal settlements at a cost where he can make money and people can get fiber. Amazing. So this will just go around existing structures. You can't hold human ingenuity down. We're going to win in the end. Yeah, what do you say to China's uh, latest uh, behavior and, and the, the trouble they've got to deal with here, Canton? You, you keep an eye on, on China. I think the interesting thing that you need to trace everything back to is the same problem that has gripped us in South Africa over the past, well, 10 years pretty much, which is the question of electricity. Mm. If you go to Twitter right now and you research for China electricity, you'll discover that China is actually facing the worst power crisis in its entire history. Hmm. It's just not able to generate enough electricity to meet its needs. And why is it not able to meet and uh, to generate enough electricity? Well, because the price of coal has gone through the roof. And 70% of China's power comes from coal. Now, understand that China is actually the world's largest installed base of renewables. So they've got more solar than anyone else. They've got more wind power than, uh, than anyone else. They've got more hydro than anyone else. But still, 70% of that economy of, what, what is it, one and a half billion people, comes from coal. And the price of coal has gone through the roof. It's gone through the roof mainly because of the fact that nobody's opening up new coal mines because of the fact that there is such pressure on uh, everyone to move towards renewables. China needs to buy coal on the open market, but then China is facing a debt crisis. And so it's not able to actually get access to the money to buy coal at the highly inflated prices that we are seeing right now. And so what are they doing? They're telling industries to shut down production for a couple of days uh, a week. Now, that is an absolute disaster because remember mm. that the entire world has been using China as its outsourced uh, low-cost labor factory for the longest right. time. Yeah. So all of the things that you are seeing, China shutting down uh, factories for a couple of days a week, China saying no to crypto. Why? Because crypto is incredibly energy intensive. Mm-hmm. You need electricity in order to play in the crypto space. But also so all, all of that kind of stuff. Aren't they also dealing with their own version of the 
the, the subprime housing crisis that we saw in the United States a short while ago. There's this huge company, Evergrande or whatever it is. Evergrande. Yeah, that is, that is suddenly in debt to the tune of something like 10 times what ESCOM uh, has every, even imagined it could be in debt to. And this is going to be a crisis that China can't just push under the carpet like so many others. Right, Pums? It's like a Lehman Brothers moment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, look, in China, everybody's been talking about if China's economy will overtake the U.S. And looking at all of the things that are happening right now in China and what Kenton's talking about, and I mean, they, they have been pumping more money into coal-powered power stations. Uh, they are... If if they have this kind of Lehman Brothers moment, then it's going to trigger an even bigger kind of broader meltdown once again of of economies around the world, especially here in Africa. It's gonna it's gonna hit us. It's gonna hit us badly. Well, the other thing that we've got to look at here is that within China there are huge tensions because it it's all kind of held together with the promise of growth. And there are parts of China that without that promise of growth, and once the, the, the economic realities start to kick in, especially when it comes to debt and to things like this uh, this housing crisis that we're talking about now, the Lehman Brothers moment, the crypto thing, all of those things that are starting to indicate, hang on, they're not as unassailable as they were before. Without that growth rate, China has no promise for its ordinary citizens. And once they become... Uh, a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit less comfortable with what Beijing is trying to tell them what to do, I, I think things start to unravel fairly quickly. And that's something we've all got to be very cognizant of. Do you agree or do you think that um, that's pie in the sky? I think that the best possible thing right now is to have a China collapse. Because remember that the reason why most of our economy ended up shutting down is because we outsourced all of the things that we used to be good at to China. Mm. I mean, just think about textiles, for example. Yeah. We, we used to have a, a thriving textile industry in this country until we passed the Labor Relations Act, at which point all of our manufacturing in the textile space went got outsourced to China. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a scenario where China actually collapses, it then forces a situation where we then start looking at creative ways to bring that stuff back home. And we actually have the capacity to do that. It's just that right now we can't compete with China paying its workers $2 a day and we pay people $2 an hour. It just doesn't work out. Rob, what's, so what's, it, will be, it will be good for us. Rob, what's your view on, on the, the, the world of, of global economics at the moment? And, and as someone who's invested in many countries and who, who has an interest in the, in the global ups and downs, how do you feel about those comments with regard to China? How do you feel about where America's at at the moment and, and how we fit into that scheme of things? So let me just look at it from an Africa perspective. Um, the decolonization of Africa took place from the north to the south. It started in Kenya, Tanzania, then northern Rhodesia, Zambia, and Malawi, and, and came south. In South Africa in 94, you can call it decolonization. Uh, but all the, all the liberation movements went from north to south. The same thing's happening today. Hmm. You know, look at Malawi, look at, uh, look at Zambia. And all of them have had terrible engagements with China, you know, where China owns, you know, has, has basically funded certain infrastructure projects, but then taken in return 10 times the amount in minerals and whatever. There have been terrible deals done. Mm. Malawi is rid of China. Zambia, the new president, HH, a fantastic guy, is getting rid of China. And so it will go. 
you know, and I do think Zimbabwe's next. I think Zimbabwe is going to be, you know, disconnecting itself from the Chinese, opening itself for business. And I think in 2023, when the next election happens in Zimbabwe, you will see a reformer come to power. Uh, Chamisa, hopefully, will run. And then in 2024, it's South Africa. So I think the positive free market uh, movement is coming south and it's coming here too. And that's disconnecting China from, from Africa which is a good thing. Well, it's about bloody time. I mean, we have the, the largest young population of, of hungry and, and unsaturated uh, pe- people and markets in the world. This is obviously the place that all of that needs to happen. And we, we also know that we've got tremendous talents on this continent. And we have serious problems to solve, which is, is even more urgent. And as a result of that, the market usually fills those cracks and those cracks start to expand and then new things burst out. We can only hope so. Pums, do you want to comment on any of that before we move on? Can you speak about the fact that we have this hugely young population and then and look, it's for me, I think it's definitely something that looking into the future could be a resource. But I think the thing that makes me worry and Canton, you say, an implosion in China would be good for us is I don't know if the skills are there to go back to those glory days. I I think we are going to have a big mismatch of skills. So the people that used to work in the textile industries are probably on their way out of the work. And we don't have the young people to go into those spaces. So reskilling is going to be a very important part of how we can become competitive in the future, in the near future. And we, we need... We need bright ideas of how we do that. How do we retool young people? Mm. And this huge burgeoning, what do they call it? A tinderbox. Young people that are unemployed and unemployable is what we currently have. I, I can see Rob's brain ticking away there. Rob, what are you thinking? <laughs> Education to edutech just excites me so much. And, and I said in my presentation, you know, the three R's, which is an expression, by the way, reading, mm. writing, and arithmetic. Sure. No, writing is a doubling. Yes, of course. Reading, writing. Get the basics right, the rest will follow. But programming, coding, and everything related to technology is the future. And the reskilling needs to happen not to create textile factory workers, but to create young people that are that are able to speak the language of programming and coding. And it's not that difficult. If you've got reading, writing, and arithmetic nailed down, you can do programming and coding. And that's the future. And we can actually, digital assets cross boundaries. Digital assets jump over regulations. That's the future for South Africa. Let's be the tech hub of Africa and one of the tech hubs for the world. And it's easily done. We just need to get governments out of the way. Well, here's a good comment from Wendy uh, Coleman. She says, I'm excited for our future. Bring back apprenticeships. And that, that speaks, I think, to what Pumi's saying here in terms of skill development. Uh, Chris Bennett referring to a social problem, uh, fatherless homes, unpopular truth, but there it is. I saw on that note, and I, I don't mean to make light of a very serious issue, I saw a very funny joke that someone sent me last night, which I think all, all of us will appreciate this morning. Uh, Woolworth's chicken tastes as good as it does because both parents raised it. 
don't know if you think that's as hilarious as I do, but that is pretty funny. Um, and it is something that Chris is addressing here. Uh, Wendy also says, I like this guy. I think she means you, Rob. I love South Africa. It's my home, and I'm excited about our future. Um, I'm loving this segment, says Sweet Pea. What about China's influence on our neighboring countries? The new uh, road in Lesotho that's been built by China. Yeah, there are lots of these things that we need to talk about. Onkhopoetse says, yes for coding at high school level. I think that's important. We need to do that ASAP. But the basic thing in terms of coding, guys, remember, is that we need to get maths right. Mm-hmm. And until because coding is fundamentally about mathematics. Yes. And mathematics is fundamentally about logic. And if you can't get that basic um, a bit uh, right, then we're not going to actually break the back of, uh, of that issue. The, uh, interestingly enough, if you look at one of the places where Xi Jinping has been cracking down, it's been on the private education sector, which to my mind is an absolute disaster because, frankly, one of the best things that has been happening in terms of China is the fact that you had this burgeoning private education sector that was actually upskilling people at a dizzy rate. And because he's now taken the view, this, you know, the communist view, that if uh, people have to pay for access to education, it's a problem, then that's the reason why he's shut down this entire industry and, uh, and wiped out billions in terms of the, uh, the Chinese stock market as a result. Our private education uh, sector in this country is one of the biggest things that we've got going for us. Mm-hmm. So if you look in terms of all of the companies that are playing in the, the private uh, uh, education uh, space, no, and, you know, Advitex you talk about the profits, and talk about the, guys, yeah, the, the, yeah uh, and, and all, all of those, those guys. And, uh, and now you have um, uh, universities now being established um, for Afrikaans speakers that are actually awarding uh, uh, degrees. And they're actually taking advantage of the fact that there's a thirst for knowledge on uh, the part of this younger generation. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that we need to actually be encouraging. And, yeah, the apprenticeships, uh, Gareth, you you might remember when we we talked about the stuff that I was doing in the the broadcast sector when I was still um, at E and then at at YFM uh, Mm -hmm. thereafter. When, When you embed training programs into the businesses that you run, and those training programs really have to be driven from the top because the reason why those programs ended up being so successful is that if you have the buy-in of the CEO, then every department then adopts that as something that they need to be involved in. And suddenly you have this transfer of skills that happens at a, at a dizzy rate. And yeah. I, I think that we actually need to look at a way of the training budget not just being something that becomes um, the prerogative of the HR department. CEOs need to take responsibility for that and say we actually need to be training the next generation in terms of the stuff that we do in our business. I don't, that's the point at which we're going to see things happen. I don't think you're going to get any um, any opposition to that last statement from Pumi or from Rob. I mean, you're both nodding along enthusiastically. Rob, you go first. Yeah, I mean, I just worry a little bit at the education level about the sort of left-wing agenda, you know, the mm. CRT approach, uh, the fact that, you know, free market economics is not taught as well or as often as it should. And that people come out of university thinking socialism hasn't been tried properly. Yeah. I mean, come on. How many times times do we have to learn this lesson? I know. And then, you know, you meet people who are being taught socialism hasn't been tried properly. Nonsense. It's been tried numerous times. It's a massive failure. 
and it's a disaster. Don't even go near that. So our education has been a bit taken over by the leftists. Oh, and yeah, I just want to say one, that's not a good thing. one other thing that you, you mentioned in your in your speech, which I thought was interesting, was the idea that we, we focused on the wrong subjects and the, the universities, which are largely state subsidized. In fact, they're, they're very heavily state subsidized in South Africa, that we still allow people to study nonsense and bullshit that I can say this because I studied political science and it was a waste of time. And it's stupid that any government should be involved in helping to educate people in something as useless as political science. We should be doing engineering maths the sciences more generally the business these are the things we should be putting our money into but it seems or our, apprenticeship or apprenticeships yeah as you yeah i think that's a very valid point pums you pick up the uh, the last word this this morning and then we'll we'll shut down for today what do you have to say you know my favorite thing about education is we like to talk about it at the end, at the tail end, but actually we have to start it at the bottom end. In South Africa, we have something like 60% of young people who start grade one don't finish. So by the time you're talking about what's being taught at university, 60% of those people aren't there. 60% of the population is not there. We've got to get it right at foundation phase. We've got to get the maths, the reading, the writing right at foundation phase. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that unfortunately we do very badly in this country is we don't teach in the mother tongue. We don't teach people the concepts of logic in maths in, in their mother tongue, in the language that they understand. So they have to grapple with language as well as concepts. Foundation phase, that's where we've got to get it right. Unfortunately, education is a long-term game. You know, it's yeah. 15 years before you begin to see the results. But it's about how do we get all those young people that are currently in the streets that are the devil's workshop that can't get into the riots and into the looting. How do we get those young people in front of an opportunity that would reskill them, give them the kind of skill that they need to become economically viable today or at least six months from now? Well, I just want to pick up on um, something that uh, uh, Rob was saying just now in terms of the critical race theory and that kind of stuff. There's, um, I, I read, you know, the, the, I get my news from a, a range of sources, Gareth. We've talked about this mm. in the past. It's not mainstream media. I, I read a piece on, I think it was persuasion.org, uh, written by a, um, uh, a young woman who had just left high school, you know, so uh, I think she's around about 18 years old and actually wrote a, a, a really thoughtful piece about um, a, a range of subjects. But the uh, the footnote said that she was going to be uh, she was not going to college but she was actually going to be doing a year long apprenticeship at uh, um, with a company called Praxis and I'd just like to urge everyone to take a look at this and uh, the website is called discoverpraxis.com mm -hmm. and it says get matched with a full time paid apprenticeship without the cost or hassle of college no degree required hmm. and it's it's a business model and I've, I've I've just started looking at it because I actually came across it in, in the past week. But the more I'm digging into this, the more I see this as a business model that we need to be adopting throughout the country of actually injecting people into the economy. Cut the universities and the critical race theory out of the equation completely. Have skilling that takes place for specific purposes in the coding space, as Rob uh, 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 points out. Uh, in the entrepreneurial space, you're learning the basics of, of actually running a business, managing cash flow, all of that kind of stuff. And 
I think that that's where the future actually lies. And um, so discoverpraxis.com, I think I'm, I'd just like to point people mm. in that direction. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see, uh, yeah, to make use of this. Well, uh, lady and gentlemen, um, I think we get to call this to order. Uh, Jesse says this hour went by very, very quickly, <laughs> and that's exactly right. Um, Pumi, thank you so much as always. Canton, thank you. Rob, I hope you don't get into any more trouble. Although I'm sure with uh, company, <laughs> with company like Canton and Pumi, you're, you're likely to be the most um, quiet and reasonable in the, in in this particular room. Um, they they are not afraid to speak <laughs> their minds as you. Are, and and I'm delighted that you were able to come and, and converse with us today, despite all of the pressures of, of what your, your last talk has created for you. It's great to have you on. Thank you all. Thank great you, everybody. Day. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week Thanks, for G. another Burning Platform. Be good. We'll see you tomorrow at 6.